You're listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. Well, in spite of Jesus' preaching and his power to heal and his parables and all the wonderful things he did, uh, he was surrounded by unbelief. And this passage is really about having faith in Jesus. Uh, but he's surrounded by people who, who don't believe. In, in fact, a, a few chapters earlier, the religious leaders had come down from Jerusalem and accused him of uh, acting under the authority of Beelzebus, being a child of the devil, in other words. His family had said he was mad and took him home, or tried to take him home, saying he's out of his mind. And when he went over the lake, he's just come back from there, uh, and he, he healed the, um, the man who'd been wandering around in the tombs with an evil spirit. The Gentiles there pleaded with him to leave. Uh, having seen that wonderful miracle, they still wanted him to go away. And did you notice in this story, we have it even here, don't we? That uh, when Jesus says to those professional mourners... Uh, that um, the child's not uh, dead, she's just asleep. They laugh him to scorn. They laugh him to scorn. And in the very next chapter, we find that Jesus goes to his hometown, Nazareth, and uh, he's absolutely amazed at their unbelief. But set in that, this little chapter, and this, these two episodes speak to us of having faith in Jesus, in spite of all the things that might put us off, in spite of all the things that might deter us. Even Jesus' disciples are struggling with, with faith. Uh, when Jesus heals the, calms the storm uh, and they're worried in that boat, he says to them, O oh, you of little faith. We're in this boat, aren't we? We struggle with faith. We struggle with trusting in Jesus for everything. But Jesus has authority over nature. He has authority over the evil spirits. He has authority over sickness. And in this chapter, he even has authority over death. This large crowd that met him, on the shore there as he came back from the, that wonderful miracle where he, he heals that man who's in the tombs uh, being chained and he leaves him in his sane mind, uh, dressed and, and wanting to follow Jesus. Um, this large crowd would have been very ambivalent towards Jesus. I think they were there perhaps to see the show, uh, sitting on the fence, wanting to see the miracles, but not putting their faith in Jesus. And we're surrounded in our society in the UK, aren't we, with a similar situation. And maybe you too are not 100% committed to following Jesus. This is so important. You might think football is important at the moment, and you know the story about Bill Shankly, the ex-Liverpool manager, 
And he said of football, well, some people believe that football is a matter of life and death. I'm very disappointed with that attitude. I can assure you that it's much, much more important than that. But football isn't actually more important than Jesus. There's nothing more important than life and death. And Jesus is the only one who has power over life and death. He has the answer to death. And our next door neighbours are really going through it at the moment. Uh, just over a year ago, they suffered the loss of a, uh, their baby, five months old, a, a newborn baby. And this little girl, Marley, died. And, and we knew that she was desperately ill right from birth. She had a heart defect. And we've been praying for them. And uh, we prayed with them. And, um, and then they had the joy of a new birth, a new baby called Kobe. And five months after the birth of the baby, they came to us and said, our baby's contracted a very rare cancer and is desperately ill. So, again, they asked us to pray. And, and the little baby's going through chemotherapy, a real course of chemotherapy, and possibly there's going to be an operation. So please pray for our next door neighbours and pray that we can find some way of expressing to them the hope that there is in the Lord Jesus. It's hard, isn't it, in those circumstances when life seems to be so much um, against you? How do you talk about trust in uh, Jesus when your baby is faced with death? But here we have two stories. Uh, and Jairus comes to Jesus. Now he's a religious ruler. Uh, he's the ruler of the synagogue. So uh, he would have been very well thought of in society. Uh, he would have organised the worship life of the synagogue. He'd have been responsible for the building. Uh, he'd have been a pillar of society. Probably very well off. But he wasn't like the other religious leaders that had come down from Jerusalem and accused Jesus of acting under the authority of the devil. He just comes and throws himself at Jesus' feet. And he pleads earnestly with him. Please, my daughter, if only you would come and put your hands on my daughter, she would be healed. He has found faith he realises that he's absolutely helpless and hopeless. And only Jesus is able to help him. There is no one else he can turn to. So, the first thing we learn about faith in this passage is that faith is God's wonderful gift for desperate people. Yes. It's a gift for desperate people. Both Jairus... And the sick woman we're going to hear about later were desperate. Who can he turn to? But he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Now imagine how humiliating that would have been 
to prostrate yourself in front of uh, the Lord uh, and just plead. Um, this isn't just a sort of, um, please could you help my daughter? <laughs> he's absolutely, he's wretched and desperately asking the Lord for help. Faith is a gift to desperate people. And we have this wonderful picture, don't we, that in verse... Um, uh, now then I should have put my glasses on. Because I'm going to need to look at some of these verses. I think it's 24, isn't it? Verse 24, it says, Jesus went with him. He pleased with Jesus. And Jesus went, please come in, find a seat. Jesus went with him. It's a beautiful picture. This desperate man, he's suddenly joined by Jesus. And the Son of God walks with the son of Abraham, the son of Adam. And everything's going to be all right now, isn't it? Jesus is coming with him. This is the man who can heal. This is the man who has the answer to all those people who've been uh, sick with illness and Jairus now has the comfort of Jesus going with him. It's a beautiful picture. But as they're going along, something else happens. And I want you to meet the next person in the story. Shalom. My name is Esther. I was the woman who came to meet Jesus, the one that Sam read to us about. I was the woman with that issue of blood. That just meant that my period came and went on for nearly a month, and then after that, I was still unclean for seven days. And it went on, not just for a few months, but for a year, and another year, for 12 years, I had that trouble. And the problem is, from where I came from, a woman in that state was unclean. Now just imagine what being unclean meant. No one could touch me. And I couldn't touch anybody else. My husband. My children. I never held my grandchildren. I couldn't go to the synagogue. No one unclean ever stepped inside a synagogue. No one. I couldn't go to the marketplace. Imagine, ladies, no shopping. 
I couldn't go. I couldn't go to a public place in case someone touched me or I touched someone. It was awful. The isolation. I was completely alone. My friends got fed up in the end. The only time I went out was at night when the streets were empty and it was dark. No one was around because I had to get some fresh air. Most of the time, I was in my home, just as Pete shared with us. He was too weak to go out for weeks. Well, I was at home, sometimes in terrible pain, in bed because I couldn't move, or in bed because I was so desperately miserable. What did I do about it? I'll tell you what I did about it. I went to see the doctors. I actually managed to go and see the doctors. One said, oh, madam, take this wine, have it three times a day, and go away. But he held out his money, his hand for money. That didn't work. I went to see somebody else. Oh, no, try this one. Have a glass, warm it up just before you go to bed. So I tried that. Another one said, oh no, you don't want to do that. Wait an hour after a meal and try this one. Add a handful of herbs. I ended up with so many different bottles of wine and so many different herbs and not knowing whether I should have it first thing in the morning or three times a day. But nothing helped. I'd given away all my money to these doctors and I was just getting worse. It was miserable. Can you imagine not being able to be near anybody in case you touch them? Then my friend, she came and stood in the doorway and said, Hey, Esther! Jesus is coming. Do you remember Jesus? I've told you about him. The one who makes people better. Yes, but could he make me better? I mean, nobody's ever made someone like me better before. Come, she said, it's your last chance. You're desperate. Your life is awful. You can but try. So I pulled on a big wrap and I stepped out into the street. I was going to give it a go. I knew he was coming because of the crowd. And I pushed my way to the front of the crowd, knowing I shouldn't really have done that because I was touching people all around me. But I was desperate. And there he was coming. I knew it was him. I could tell by his face. I knew. But he was talking to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. How could I, a filthy, unclean woman at that, go and interrupt him? I couldn't. I couldn't do that. I wasn't brave enough. And why should he look at me? I was so unclean. 
Sinai and in Gerbach. And so he wouldn't see me. I came up behind and stretched out. That changed my life. Reaching out and touching his clothes. I knew I was healed. I could feel it all through me. I knew not did the pain go, but I knew that the, I had stopped bleeding. But in my heart, I felt renewed. I felt a new person. I knew. <laughs> and I turned round to go away. But it was like the end of the world because Jesus stopped and he turned round and said, Who touched me? my despair, my pain, my hunger to be hugged and loved again. Daughter, do you know what that did for me? He accepted me. He cared. He had healed me. Given me new life. Go in peace. And that's just what Jesus said, says to all of us. Your faith has healed you, he said. Go in peace. And I did. I did. Praise God. Faith is God's gift for desperate people. This sick woman, so unlike Jairus, poor, no financial resources, she spent all her money 
on healing cures. And she's unclean, untouchable. But she's got a simple faith in Jesus. It may have been a bit superstitious. Somehow she thinks that Jesus' clothes have got the same power that Jesus has. If only she touched his clothes. But she's got a simple faith in Jesus. She wanted to touch his clothes. God's gift is for desperate people. But faith is more than just an academic knowledge about Jesus. And this woman found out it's a relationship with Jesus. And as soon as she touched those clothes, the power went out from Jesus. Jesus is key to this woman's healing. She touched his clothes and powerful healing flowed from Jesus. And she instantly knew she was well. But Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples say, well, you must be out of your mind. There's hundreds of people milling around. They're all touching you. And it's about relationship. Someone touched me in a different way today. And Jesus knows it's important for this woman to come face to face with him. There's so much hurt in her life that needs to be healed. Not just the healing for her body. And she's come up behind him because she's full of guilt. She wants to not interrupt him as he's going along the road. But Jesus turns and he calls her daughter. She comes in front of him and pours out her heart and says all the things that are on her mind. How she's been so unclean for all those years, 12 years. How she's touched all these people in the crowd and maybe, maybe they're unclean. And, and Lord, I've touched you. Maybe I've made you unclean. She feels so unworthy. And Jesus is able to call her daughter. That word must have seemed like honey to her. She's back in relationship with her father. She's a daughter of God. And Jesus is able to reassure her that not only has her body been cleaned, but she's been healed of all her uncleanness. Her sins have been forgiven. She's back in relationship with him. And she's a daughter of Israel too, so she's back in relationship with others in the, the society that she lives in. Faith is a relationship with Jesus. And faith is for desperate people. And faith in Jesus means life. And so we turn back to Jairus and, and he's there clicking his heels. He's desperate for Jesus to go forward and come to his home and heal his daughter. And he spent so much time talking to this lady. 
And just as he hears Jesus calling her daughter, he has news about his own daughter. Your daughter is dead. How is it that God can bless other people and not bless me? How is it that other people get all the blessing and, and my life is a disaster? What must have been going through Jairus' mind? And the people coming from his house say, why bother the master anymore? She's dead. You can almost hear them saying, can't you? It's hopeless. Jesus the healer is a good man, certainly, but, but no one can heal from the dead. Your daughter is dead. He's taken too long over, over this daughter, over this woman in the crowd. It's too late for your daughter. Some things are just too big for Jesus to handle. How discouraging Jesus, uh, Jairus must have found this. And Jesus knows what's going through his mind. And uh, he turns to Jairus in verse 36 and says, Don't be afraid, just believe don't go on being afraid, just go on believing. So often we're really hit sideways by bad news, aren't we? New Christians especially are often knocked sideways by something, uh, some tragedy in their life that makes them question their faith. They're taught quite rightly that Jesus will be with them all through their life. And so life must be good, mustn't it? And then the disappointments come and the tragedies come. And they weren't told to expect that. And it knocks them sideways. It must have knocked Jairus sideways uh, on his walk with Jesus. It doesn't make sense. He fears the worst. He fears his daughter is never going to be seen again. Does this Jesus know what he's doing? Can I trust him? And each one of us can experience doubts like that uh, about our faith in Jesus. When life's problems seem so huge, uh, impenetrable, impossible. How can I keep trusting in Jesus? Ill health, breakup of relationships, maybe a marriage to a non-Christian, maybe teaching that I hear about evolution at school or college, or maybe the current culture about uh, same-sex relationships being okay. So many things can come in and discourage us and cause us to fear. Well, listen to what Jesus says to Jairus. Don't go on being afraid. Go on believing. Jesus knows exactly what's on Jairus' mind and encourages him to keep on trusting. So they turn up at his house and the professional mourners don't help Jairus' mood. 
There's thousands of them. Jairus is a rich man, so there would have been lots of people expecting to be paid for mourning. And so they mourn as loudly as they can, and they wail and scream. Uh, It must have been an awful row. Everything is saying to Jairus, she's dead, she's dead, she's dead. And Jesus is so untroubled. In fact, he challenges them. He says, no, she's not dead. She's just asleep. She's simply waiting for me to wake her up. And they laugh at him. And the world still laughs at Jesus. He can't break the laws of the universe, can he? He can't bring the dead back to life. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. He is Lord of all. In him is life, and his life is the light of men. He is the resurrection and the life. Note that the crowd is turned away at this point. The crowd is not allowed to accompany Jesus and Jairus. It's only mum and dad and Peter and James and John who go into this little room. They're the only ones who are privileged to see this wonderful miracle. Jesus takes this little girl by the hand and tenderly speaks life to her. Little girl, get up. And she gets up and walks. She gets up and walks around. She's perfectly normal. And it says there that at this they were completely astonished. I should think they probably were. Absolutely flabbergasted. Their daughter is dead. One second. Jesus says, little girl, get up. And she gets up. And walks around. They are utterly, utterly amazed. I imagine they might have called out, Hallelujah. Uh, Jesus has power over life and death. No matter what life throws against us, Jesus is in control and we can trust him. He's not going to let us down. Later on in Mark, of course, we find that Jesus goes to the cross. And there, this this story is, is magnified a hundred times because he goes into death and comes through it with life. Death cannot keep him. He's lived a perfect life. And he's raised to life again. But he goes to death for you and I. So that we can say this morning, death has no power over me. Sin has no power over me because Jesus has taken all my sin and taken it with him to the cross. Jesus loved me so much that he did that. For me, Jesus loves you so much that he takes all the things that you've ever done wrong 
and takes them to the cross. So you can hear him saying to you, little girl, get up. Young man, get up. Father, son, grandparents, whoever you are, Jesus can say the same thing because he loves you and he's gone to the cross for you. And he's conquered sin, he's conquered death, and he offers you life. This story is all about faith. All these people in this story just implicitly trust Jesus with everything. And Jesus doesn't let them down. And if we trust Jesus with everything, he won't let us down. So what's the application for us? I don't know whether you have ever actually come to faith in that sense. Have you recognised that Jesus died for you? Mark in this wonderful gospel is busily telling us that Jesus is the man of authority. He is the son of God. He is the one who is the saviour of the world. Many people in the crowd don't believe him, but some do. But what about you? If all this story is true, then I have to respond to Jesus in some way, don't I? And that's why Mark talks about faith. For each one of us, we're in that situation where we have to decide whether we put faith in Jesus or not. I wonder if it's something that you've ever done. These people come to Jesus desperate because they need help. And Jesus immediately comes to their aid. If we turn to Jesus in faith and ask him to forgive us our sins and ask him to come into our lives, he will forgive us too and give us life. We're going to pray a little prayer and if you would like to make that your prayer, you can do so. Father, I've lived all my life in your world, but never acknowledged that you are God, that you made me, you created me. I am a sinner. I've done things wrong, and I need forgiveness. Lord Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for me, to die for me. I ask you to come into my life. Help me to live for you. Thank you for forgiving me my sins. Amen.
Maybe you did that many years ago. But maybe you're too aware that, like Jairus, there's so many things that you're going on being afraid of. And we're here to help each other this morning, aren't we? We're here to encourage each other and pray for each other. Maybe it would be good now to have a time where we will confess to each other how difficult we find faith and ask the Lord for help. Ask one another to pray for each other. Why don't we turn to the uh, person next door or the person in front and behind and just say, start off by saying, the thing that makes me fearful is dot 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 or I want to trust God more for dot dot dot. The thing that makes me fearful is dot dot dot. I want to trust God more for dot dot dot. And we pray for each other as we come to a time of uh, communion.